Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Cameron Wright. All right. Thank you, Anthony. All right, folks, uh, as Anthony said, I'm the pastor here and uh, been a pastor, been a senior pastor for um, almost 16 years and uh, been in ministry close to 30 years. And we're going to do something this morning that we've never done before. So are you ready for this? No, Chris isn't ready. We'll give him some time. All right. (coughs) What we're going to do is we have been teaching on happy family and this whole month uh, sharing different uh, aspects of how to create a uh, happy atmosphere in your home and uh, how, to, how to create that and uh, influence it. But today, I want to just share some practical ideas of how to do that and how we've done it, my own family. And so as a family, we're all going to come up and share. So Kathy, kids, come on up. First time ever. We've all been on the stage at the same time. Give them a hand. This is my family. So this is Kathy, my wife, and this is Tori, our firstborn, uh, uh, 25, (laughs) almost 26, that's right. This is Emily, our second, and she's 21. All right, and enjoying the benefits thereof. (laughs) And this is William, who is 16. Yeah, and uh, in uh, 11th grade, and Lewis, our youngest, uh, filling our quiver (coughs) at 14 and in 9th grade. And um, so what I did was I sneakily sent them an email a little over a month ago saying, hey, I'm going to be teaching on Happy Family. And we just, I'd like your input (coughs) as to some of the things that... uh, we did in our family to create a happy atmosphere. First, I asked them if they felt it was happy, and, and if so, why, and, and some stories. And uh, they didn't know that I was going to ask them to actually come up, and we were going to discuss it. Uh, so I kind of uh, surprised them, but I wanted them to get some ideas on paper first, and then from that, share. Now, a couple of things before we get to the actual discussion. <coughs> and the first thing is, um, you know, we're talking about Happy family, how to create happiness. And so we're, we're, we're intentionally not going to talk about all of our failures, all of our disappointments, you know, all of the bad stuff because we only have like 30, 35 minutes. And there's <laughs> no way we could do that, all right? So we might be able to fill that time with some happy ideas. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm the pastor. And so <coughs> many of you have uh, invited me into some of your family struggles and throughout the uh, – close to 30 years of ministry, I've been involved in just about every form of uh, uh, family breakdown, disappointments, difficulties, <coughs> and walked with many of you through some very difficult times. And I just want to let you know very honestly, very clearly, that there is nothing that uh, I've walked with other people through that uh, we have not gone through something similar, uh, something as significant as as destructive as challenging as the stories that you have okay you don't know them because you're not my pastor uh but my pastors i do have people that i look to as pastors several uh people that i go to on a regular basis and they've walked with me through some of the challenges that we've had as a family and so you know we're just a family too and um all of us have gone through hard times (coughs) Uh, we're not going to focus on that because we want to give some practical ideas of how, you know, even through the hard times, we were able to do some things that created a happy atmosphere. Another thing I want to say is some of the things that we do, did or some of the ways that we did it may not work in your family. Uh, you may not agree with it, and that's okay. All right, We're just sharing how we did it. We're not saying this is the right way or the only way. Well, this is the right way. <laughs> because <laughs> my last name is Wright for you know, so I was born right I'll die right I'm always right <laughs> but this is the W-R-I-G-H-T way um, yeah yeah it just means that <coughs> I work with wood 
So, um, uh, uh, yeah, so we're, we're not perfect in any way, uh, but we want to just touch on some of the ways that uh, have been effective in creating a happy family. And first we're going to just uh, read a little bit out of Scripture. I love that <coughs> the Bible is uh, really a, a family story. And, of course, we saw uh, in the beginning, you know, it all starts out with Adam and Eve in the garden and, and the consequences of their actions within their marriage and within their family. And really everything spirals out from that <coughs> uh, one event, and it happened in the family. And the other great uh, story is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the Messiah, the Victor, you know, uh, God himself came and he chose to come into the world in the context of a family. He came as a baby to a young couple and he, and he had siblings and he, and he did life right from the beginning. <coughs> and so uh, we see that God values family intensely, all right, and uh, our salvation actually came through that. And I believe that family is really, really important to God. And uh, one of the interesting facts about the Bible <coughs> that I've always wondered about is that when you read through Scripture, <laughs> you are hard-pressed to find a good example of a <laughs> happy family. Seriously. There are, I mean, there are some families that have some good things, but even those ones have some really bad things in the mix. And what that tells me is the Bible is real. Because that's what life is. That's what everybody's family's like. And so the Bible isn't presenting this ideal that's unattainable. It presents a truth. Uh, that it, this was good, but then he did this. And boy, that was really stupid. And look at the consequences. And so um, uh, it, it, it comforts me uh, to know that in our family, we can have difficult times. In your family, you can have difficult times. You can have sin. I mean, really bad mistakes as well as bad circumstances or enemies that invade, and yet God is faithful, and uh, that's not the end of the story, that God brings redemption. And so, But there is some advice, and uh, there's all through the Scripture, but I was just going to read a couple of verses that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, uh, specifically addressing family relationships. He says, <coughs> he's talking about Christ and the church and some magnificent things, but then he turns it to some application of how we can Take these truths and live them in our day-to-day -day lives. And he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. And so he gives a, you know, a huge responsibility there uh, um, uh, for the wife to be uh, submissive. And, and you know, uh, sub, sub, some, some translations translate that obey. Um, but there's a couple of things about that. It, it really means to submit, but also to support, to place yourself in relationship of support as well as submission to uh, this person that you've married. But the motivation of it is as unto Christ, okay? And so it's really about your relationship with Jesus Christ that enables you as a wife to live in that supportive, submitted role um, with the husband. And it's reciprocal. In other words, what's expected of the wife is actually expected of everyone in the family. <coughs> uh, in another place it says, talking about husbands and wives, it's in Peter, it says, you all submit to one another. Uh, wives submit to husbands, husbands, you know, be submitted to one another. <coughs> but here, Paul goes on and says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so he says, Husbands, your role is to love on the wife in the same way that Jesus loved on the church. And how did Jesus demonstrate his love? He gave himself completely unto death, right? And so, it's, again, it's, it's Christ-centered um, definition and motivation for my relationship within my family that it comes out of my relationship with Christ and I follow his example. And so I'm to love just as my wife is to to uh, submit and to uh, respect. <coughs> and he goes on, jumping down to verse 33. He says, Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's this love and respect, this submission 
and this uh, serving that, uh, of the uh, husband to the wife. But it goes on. And he goes on and says, children, and so these are my kids, <coughs> obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> and he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So here, children are given responsibilities. Husbands are given responsibilities. Fathers, uh, wives are given responsibilities. And now children have the responsibility to obey, but also to honor. And we could talk and teach about all of these um, different ideas. <coughs> and we're going to just kind of share how we kind of work them out in our own family context. Uh, I want to get to the next verse, chapter 6, verse 4. A lot of times we skip over this one. Uh, children obey your parents, but in verse 4 it says, And you fathers, and that applies both to fathers uh, and mothers, but especially fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I think it's great. I mean, every teenager should have this verse memorized, right? <laughs> you know, uh, hey, it's the parents' responsibility not to act in a way that provokes the children to anger. Now, why does the Bible teach us that? Because we're apt to act in ways that cause our children to get angry. And if your children are angry, you need to ask yourself, what am I doing that might be fostering that or make opening up a door for that? Because the Bible instructs us specifically to not do that and instead to nurture them <coughs> and bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord to, to enable them to become mature and nourished in a way that they can live out their relationship with God in the context of family. And so that's a basic idea. We all have, each role has responsibilities and obligations to live with one another in a way that represents Christ. And we're just going to talk a little bit. Is that all right? <coughs> so this is kind of vulnerable. All right. We're just kind of... You know, I've never done this because it kind of in ministry you kind of want to keep your kids safe, but they all agreed to come up, and so we're just gonna kind of bear ourselves a little bit and uh, and share some some stuff from from our family. Is that good? All right. So, <coughs> um, since Tori's the oldest, we're gonna have her share some of the things that uh, that she found helped create a happy atmosphere in our home. Yeah. So. When he asked me the question, do we have a fa happy family? I was like, yeah, definitely. But I had to think about why. And I think the one of the biggest things for all of us was the fact that we felt safe and that we could trust mom and dad and mom and dad were on our side. And like one of the ways that that would work itself out is when I had something weighing on me or I was working through something or I'd done something wrong and I knew that I knew in my head that I could go to mom and dad and they would help make it better. They were on my side. They wanted me to succeed, even if there was definitely plenty of times where my own pride or my own fear kept me from that for a while. <laughs> but whenever we would, you know, I could go to you guys and you would help help us out. Yeah, um, I definitely, um, like, just thinking about times growing up and, like, just, you know, trying to grab at different memories that I had that um, I feel maybe have, like, helped mold me is who I am now um like I mean one of the things that kind of runs through me and my siblings is that we like have a big conscience and so like if I do something bad like as a kid I like snuck into my neighbor's backyard without asking or like whatever I would feel like this anxiety <laughs> of like oh my gosh you know like obviously there were things that were a bit um worse than that <coughs> particular case but um <laughs> <laughs> but anytime that I um had a situation like that I especially remember in my childhood um I would just I would it would just be a weight on me until I spoke to my parents about it and like any I, I don't honestly have a memory of me going and confessing something to them that like I knew that I had messed up I screwed something up and I went to them and they didn't lash out in wrath you know they um I feel like the most common theme was they were more interested in teaching me than punishing me. Um, and that has helped so much in just the way that I interact with my family and the way that, you know, I interact with other people too. Like, they've shown me how valuable it is to not, like, to actively not act out in wrath 
towards one another, you know? Um, and, and like, I don't know, as I share this kind of stuff, one of the things on my heart is, like, it's really important to, um, to not, like, make this be a comparison game. Like, oh, man, like, yeah. I wish that my dad never acted out in wrath against me. Like, that must be nice. But, like, I don't know. It's just like, this is just, like, an encouragement and an edification. Like, I... I feel the same way about my siblings. Like, we don't really fight that much, which is really rare, but, you know, we're a safe place. We've intentionally made ourselves a safe place for each other. And, you know, I can go, like, I could go to my sister and be like, I've really been screwing up with this thing, and I just need to talk to somebody about it. And she's not going to tell me that, you know, she's not going to hate on me. She'll be there to support me. Um, And so, like, I don't know, I guess that just as we're talking, one of the things, like, kind of as a side note I wanted to say was, like, just grab whatever you can from our conversation and see how you can apply it to yourself, you know, because you can't change, like, your siblings or your parents, but you can change yourself, and you can um, act according to the wisdom that you're able to pick up from, you know, anything that we say or anything that God puts in your heart and things. And, yeah, one of the biggest things is safety, honestly, in a family. Um, Feeling like you can come home and having a safe place, just, like, that that is um that is something that impacts your kids parents you know like that is something that um sorry i feel like i just got like really deep really <laughs> but well, it's just it's on my heart you know like yeah. it's a safe place and that's what we've been able to establish yeah and so all of them in, in one way or another uh put that on their list that they felt safe and uh you know so we something that we did was to cr- whatever it was or a combination of things to create a place where they felt safe was was what enabled happiness then to 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 develop. And if you don't have that uh, atmosphere of safety, you you can't get happy. You know, because you're af- you're afraid. And and so th- one of the things was, and I remember early uh, throughout all the kids and regularly reminding them, listen, you can tell me anything. You know, but that doesn't mean you have to tell me everything. In fact, I don't even want to know. Everything, right, right. Uh, so you can come and tell me anything, but I don't demand you tell me everything. That's kind of a balance that you have to learn. <coughs> and then uh, being ready that when they do come and share something that's disturbing or upsetting, or you find out something that is very disappointing, that you don't react. You know, because as a parent, you have desires and expectations and. But if you react out of those, um, that can that can cause fear, and so you have to learn how to listen through, and uh, like Emily said, <coughs> use it as an opportunity to teach rather than punish, um, uh, and and understand that you know well what's the long term objective here is how can we take, you know where you're at right now and help you get to a better place. That's really the goal. <coughs> it doesn't mean that I don't walk away going, oh my goodness, well I'm like, how did I fail? You know, but I don't do that in front of them uh, because that wouldn't be helpful for them. I would then often, especially when they're younger, but even today, <coughs> uh, you know, I may have an interaction with one of my kids about something and then later I talk to Kathy about this is the interaction. This is what. This is my concern, and and we make sure we're on the same page, so that uh, we can be on the same page with the kids, and 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 that whole dynamic, it really helps create a, a safe safe atmosphere, uh, and, and and enables them to feel that they have the freedom that they can come and talk. So, um, did you have something you want to tag in on that? <coughs> Uh, with what my dad just said, like the freedom to talk, I feel like something that uh, that has blessed me a lot that my parents have given me. Uh, it's a lot of freedom, and they respect what my decisions and they uh, respect what I want. They give me a lot of opportunities to try things, and if I don't want to do it anymore, they respect me saying no. So, like there was a semester when I was really young where I tried karate at my school just a little while ago. Yeah, remember that? But <laughs> I only did it for like a. <laughs> But <laughs> I was not a black belt. <laughs> but I didn't actually enjoy it very much at that time. So, like, after the first semester, I told my parents that I don't really want to do it that much. And they were like, okay, cool. And so they let me do that. And I'm sometimes I, I just I just like that they give us that respect, which 
I feel like a lot of us said as well, respect was something that really empowered us uh, to be individuals because everybody is a person, an individual person. Yeah, so again, one of the defining things that you know I did as a parent uh, and Kathy and I um, really attempted to treat each child, and this uh, all of these truths apply to every relationship, right? And so, yeah, we're talking about parents and children a lot, but the same thing apply to just your spouse, or if you're single, applies to you relating to other people. If you're, you know, if you're uh, empty nesters, you're uh, relating to your adult children that are grown up. These are just relationship principles that we're hoping you can pick up some um, uh, ideas and and learn how to adapt them into your situation but to treat each inch each person as a complete whole individual from day one i mean from conception it's like wow uh and and that person is going to be different than you (coughs) and different from their siblings i mean they have four kids each of them are totally different they have different aspects about them (coughs) you know but that's what makes it wonderful and uh, uh, believing that and then pursuing that is, uh, I think, a really important um, part of uh, creating a happy family. You want to talk about the respect? Part? <coughs> Although I never in, you know, set out to parent with disrespect, um, I was a little bit, I had some blind spots. And one day when Tori was probably about six months old sitting up on the floor, and I don't know what had spurred me to think of this, but all of a sudden I thought, what if this friend I respected, some of you may remember Monica Marino from way back, she was somebody that exemplified respect to everyone, whether they were you know, a homeless drunk or a troubled teenager or you know, somebody, just a friend at church. She always treated everybody with respect and took them very seriously. So I was ha- the thought went through my mind, what if Monica had seen me do that to Tori? <laughs> you know, I just and I felt very embarrassed and ashamed and and I repented and I just realized that I needed to treat Tori like like Monica would treat Tori, you know, with respect and take her seriously. You know, maybe I had the big picture, maybe you know this this thing that was tormenting her in the moment in her 6-month moment wasn't really the end of the <laughs> universe, but it felt like it to her. Right. I needed to take it seriously, you know. And I I just that was something that shifted in me and has, you know, continued through with all of the kids. And sure, I still treat everybody in our family at times disrespectfully, not for any good reason. There's never a good reason. But our general policy and our general heart is to respect one another. Yeah. And so the the people you live with often end up being uh, the people you treat disrespectfully the most. All right? And it shouldn't be that way. You know, these are the people we, we love, and these are actually people that we're probably the most com- have the most in common with, and that kind of kind of lowers some barriers. And so you let yourself be snotty, you know, uh, and you respond to uh, your child or your spouse in a way that you'd never respond if it was you know another person from church over for dinner, right? So if, if someone, a guest comes over and, you know, they accidentally spill their milk, you wouldn't go, you idiot! You know, let's be more careful, you know? Or if they drop something and broke a glass, you wouldn't yell at them. <laughs> How many times I got to tell you? <laughs> right? Would you, do, would you do that to me if I came over and spilled <laughs> milk? <laughs> to me, you would, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you... If, there's a proverb that says familiarity breeds contempt, but that's not a proverb from the Bible, right? That's just a truth of human uh, frailty that that familiarity breeds contempt, and so we we allow ourselves to to treat with disrespect the people that we live with, but they're the ones that it's most important to treat with respect. And uh, listen, this is something I struggle with every day. Every day, I'll find myself thinking or acting in a way that. I would go, you know, if that was a neighbor or someone from church, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said it that way. I wouldn't have just walked through the room without acknowledging them, you know. Uh, and I have to continually repent of that. And, and, and as we seek that, then it gets reproduced within the kids. And so everybody kind of 
strives to show respect for one another. Uh, Lewis, you haven't said anything yet. One thing you put down was <coughs> reliability. What, did, what do you mean by that? Um, when I put down re uh, reliability, um, I was thinking about, like, uh, whenever we needed uh, you guys or anyone else in the family or just advice about anything, um, we could always uh, go to anybody in the family um, and they would uh, treat you with respect um, and they'll listen to you um, and think about it and give their advice um, whether it's uh, struggle you're going through or uh, something that uh, you're celebrating. <laughs> um, but that reliability is just so nice in a family because yeah. um, you're not at odds with everybody who's around you. Yeah. Um, and it definitely is it's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to tag on to that? Or? There's there's something that um we shared uh, last service that um I guess I it's just something that's really impactful for me as a kid um so it kind of um moving on from you know like the safety of a family and everything like that and and being raised with respect um kind of um one of like like kind of the peak of that or like the accumulation of of that being raised um for me was sort of realized um in a specific moment when um, I was 17. And um, it, w it was like a small moment, but it really ended up sticking with me. Um, I I was up north at a camp with my family, and um, like there was something that I had wanted to do um, with a couple people, but I wasn't totally sure how I felt about it. Like if, if I should like go with these people, or like if like I don't know. I didn't know if it was like I felt like sneaking off if I didn't tell my parents about it. So I was just like I went up to my dad and I was like, hey, like is it okay if I go out? with these people and do this. And um, the thing that he said was um, kind of what changed my perspective. Because um, at that point I was 17 and so I was still like under their household, but really like I was, you know, very close to adulthood. You know, I'd, I wasn't in my childhood anymore. I was very clear. Um, and he said that like he wasn't gonna tell me wh whether or not I should go out with these people. Um, he was like, you know, I, I don't think that you know, you're sinning, you know, like, I, I trust you, I hope that I've, um, like, at this point, I hope that I've raised you well enough for you to be able to make that kind of decision on your own, right. um, and he's, like, at this point, like, my role of parenting has changed, I've raised you, I've done my job, and now it's time for you to do your job, and, um, the most that I can do is give you advice, but, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, tell you what to do, I'm not gonna, um, treat you like, you know, a 10-year-old when you're a 17-year-old. Um, and so with that conversation that we had, I realized that it had switched the responsibility of my actions from my parents to myself. And I realized the weight of my actions is on me. Um, and my parents have done their job and they respect that I'm somebody who's able to make my own decisions. And, and like, even with that, I was like, well, I don't, like they haven't given me any reason to rebel. So, you know, there was that, that desire that a lot of people have. Like I didn't, I didn't really feel the need for it because they, you know, they didn't pressure me with legalism. They let me make my own choices when the time was right and I was mature enough to do so. Right, so you, you, you can't rebel like if it's your choice. <laughs> like there's yeah, physically no way for me to rebel. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it's kind of a nuanced way to understand that. If, if you're unfamiliar with the idea, there are some books about it. Um, but it's 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 not something I waited till she was 17. That was when she realized it. It was actually just a practice that Kathy and I uh, did throughout raising the children. Is to, you know, my job was to mature them and to nurture them, uh, and that, that means is to help them learn how to make decisions and so and that starts really at age three or four they can start making decisions and then you have to honor that decision and then uh, you know obviously it's different for a four-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old um, but the idea is you're you're helping them to make the decision and so my role or our role as parents 
would be to say, well, you know, you have a choice here. <coughs> you can choose to do this. And even young kids, like what, uh, you know, some of the neighbor kids, uh <laughs> you know, some of the conflict that came up and like, how are you going to deal with this? And I said, well, if you do this, what's probably going to happen is, you know, this will happen and this will happen and it'll be actually a worse problem. And if you do this, you know, this might be a way to get around it and, and solve it. And so I'd kind of put the ball in their court so that they could make the decision and then, then walk it out and, and deal with the consequences of it. And so the more I was able to do that, um, you know, I'm training them to make decisions because I don't want to make all the decisions for them. You know, I don't want them to come to be. Same thing with, uh, you know, when they would have a, a, a conflict between two of the siblings, you know, and they come and want me to be the judge. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll teach you how to make a good, how to solve this, and then you need to solve it. I don't want them constantly coming to me to be the arbitrator of their conflict. And this is an area where a lot of parents think that's their role, is to be the judge in the house. No, you're to instruct them on how to resolve conflict. You know, um, you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that? So what, what did that, the, that type of instruction create in you? Uh, I feel like for me, having that kind of really encourages independent thought. Uh, it makes you think about how I can get around and solve this problem. Because when you're out living on your own, you're not going to go to your dad if you have this disagreement with a friend. You're going to you got to solve that problem on your own. Um, and so it just fosters that. And hang on, I'm trying to find some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um it definitely encourages you to be yourself and not just when you see a problem, just flip around to the, the dad and say, say, look, look, I'm right. You actually figure it out on your own. And I feel like having that independent growth is very important for a kid. Yeah. Were you going to say something on that? You were leaning mm -hmm. forward there. Yeah. Just story. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When the. When the um, we, you know, I did think about this after the first service that we shared, and we did, um, we did encourage them to treat one another respectfully. They didn't just do it naturally. I mean, no. they mo they mostly did, but they had, you know, they had <coughs> moments like like we do. And I can remember that one thing that Cameron would do with the boys is make them hug each other and kiss each other, <laughs> and they would they did not want to do it. But they would start cracking up, you know, and they'd finally do it, you know. And uh, this was when they were little. I don't think it's happened in a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> been at least three months. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do the I'm sorry, I repent, and then you go, okay, hug each other. All right, now kiss each other. And like, ah. next yeah. thing you know, they're laughing all over them, rolling on the floor. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so it's learning how to 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 teach them to navigate their own conflict um, actually frees you as a parent of that responsibility because that's that's really the goal. And again, you know, we weren't perfect in this, but this, these are some of the things that we try to do to, de to, to foster um, uh, happiness and wholesomeness in family. Another thing <coughs> is uh, shared experiences and uh, making memories. I think Kathy actually came across a book on this when we were early parents. Um, uh, and this whole idea of making memories. And uh, we really embrace that. And as a family, you know, we, Kathy and I would talk through, like, we want to do this every year. We want to make this special in as much as we can. And so uh, for, for, for us, you know, a couple of ways we did that was Cedar Campus, which is a camp up north um, that uh, uh, we would take our family to, not every year, but we tried to do it as often as we can. It was kind of a refuge and, and a shared experience. We would go for a week or two weeks uh, and just, you know, hang out. We're just camping. Um, it's not a nice campground because they cook all the food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, but it's really quite affordable. Finding ways, but other, you know, Disney World is another thing that we have shared experience. Uh, you want to talk about what y yeah. what you realized about that? Yeah, so um, when I was answering the question, like, what, what makes us a happy family? Um, one of the biggest things was, like, if you guys have had any conversation with anybody in this family for, like, any period of time, 
you would probably <laughs> realize that we all love Disney World, and it like kind of to the point where it defies logic. <laughs> 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 like, it's I've heard so many people try to rationalize why it'd be so much better to go somewhere else yeah. for a vacation, but I'm like, you just you can't you can't beat it. It's Disney World, like that, like that is the pinnacle of like the perfect family vacation. Which obviously it's not. Like obviously a lot of people you know, don't necessarily enjoy it, or whatever. Right, but right. but we. Like, that was something that our parents, from when we were, before we could remember, like, that was something they chose to make a common experience. And it's almost grown into something that's, like, a common patriotism. Like, this is something that we all love. Like, we can all talk about. And it's it's a silly thing. And I was, like, trying to figure out why this was something that felt important to our family. Because it's just, you know, it's a theme park. It's nothing huge. But so many... It's Disney World. (laughs) Guys. (laughs) Um... But it's something that that we, like, our memories, like, some of my most clear memories were from times when we were at Disney World. And what was what made it important and what made it memorable was we were all together. Yeah. We were there for the same reason. We were on each other's team. We were enjoying ourselves. We were creating memories together. And, like, honestly, through a lot of our family, like, Maybe there was a season where there was a lot of conflict in our family, but the, the place we, you know, w- in our family, we personally had made it be somewhere like Disney World or Cedar Campus, regardless of what was going on in our life, we were able to come together in yeah. those places, in those moments, in those shared experiences. Um, South Haven. Oh, yeah. Like, some of the things, like, like obviously, not everybody's going to be able to go to Disney World or even wants to, um, but um, I know, it's crazy. Um <laughs> But some of the other things that, like, I've seen other people have is, like, a sports team. Like, everybody loves sports. I don't know. I don't like Ohio State or something. (laughs) Like, I don't don't know what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Um, We are all sport ignorant. Like, I have no idea. Like, that's completely – I don't bond at all with anybody over sports. But some people are like, this is, like, all my family is getting together, and we are going to watch the The game, game, the ball game. (laughs) <laughs> can't even articulate I can't. So Cubs or something. Um, there's just a whole bunch of animals that like fight each other. <laughs> the tigers and the lions and. <coughs> anyway, but but some people like that. That is what their family loves. Or honestly, for some people, I know a lot of people where they have family that is in the army, and like that's completely different than like a camp or a theme park or something. But that is something that has brought a lot of unity. Like this is a shared um, experience that like. Yeah, I know people who are like all my brothers and my dad and my grandpa. Like they've all done this, and this is something that that um, we all equally support. Yeah. Um, and and having something like that really builds unity. And like like even when I was I was in um, Canada for a few years um, in, at a ministry school, and I didn't have a lot of contact with my family. But one of the things that always like if somebody brought up, yeah, I'm going to like Florida or I'm going camping or something, um, it would always stir up in me like, oh, like this is what makes me really miss my family. Like nobody understands the silly excitement that I'm getting off of like this Disney World tri- like trivia or something. Like All this right. is something that is a common denominator that I don't share with a lot of other people. So we encourage, and just as a family, you need to find, well, what are, see the thing is you already have some if you're a family. And then how can you um, kind of build that and, and, and play off of that? And that's just a, an important part, whether it's, you know, something like going to a particular theme park or, uh, you know, there's a couple of beaches that we go to, take the kids regularly to a couple of beaches. On, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, um, it can be something basic. <coughs> but, uh, yeah, board yeah. games. Some people love board games. And it builds a, a common a shared memory and that and through that you develop uh relationship <coughs> and then you have a uh a, um a, a like the patriotism or camaraderie that you want to build and that creates happiness so um <coughs> uh what about the one uh the second to the last one uh will on your list uh oh yeah <coughs> i'm pretty sure i know okay <coughs> so uh something that is pretty staple to me um, and a lot of people know this. Anybody that's eaten with me knows this, that <laughs> I'm a very picky eater. I don't like a lot of things. He um, is the most picky eater I have <coughs> ever met. <laughs> it <One> is unbelievable. 
One <laughs> it's pretty crazy. One time when I was on a missions trip, um, I had a friend, and like every day we would just like list things that we don't like. And after a week on this mission trip, I beat her out with things that I don't like. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so picky. Probably not a thing you should be proud of, but I know. <laughs> But uh, something that my parents, they respected that I don't like a lot of foods. So when we were at the dinner table, they didn't, like, force me to eat every bite off the plate. They And if there was a meal that I didn't like, they allowed me to go get my own food from the ca the fridge or from the cupboard. Or sometimes my mom would, like, cook a little bit of the meat without any of the seasoning on it so that I could eat it, and it would be great. Uh, but that is just... It, it's just a respect kind of thing. Like, I don't like this. I, I, I won't eat this. So they respected that. But maybe that's why I'm skinny. That's what you're saying. Well, one of the things, uh, th one, that, that's really just really practical. But it's also an area where a lot of parents, especially young parents, they make the family dinner table the battleground. Uh, listen, none of your kids is suffering malnutrition. Uh, and in America, the number one problem for youth is obesity, all right? So it's it's you know if they don't eat the greens for a few weeks or a few months or even a few years, eventually they're going to eat vegetables. All right, and don't make that the battleground because then it makes the family table a place of uh, you know the battle of wills, and that just really robs you of a opportunity. And so like if you didn't eat it, it's like well that's what's been cooked, so he might eat peanut butter on bread for you know eventually he'll get sick of that right <laughs> you know i mean for there were years and uh, like i struggled as a parent i struggled with this because i thought this is ridiculous and the boys the only thing they would drink was chocolate milk <laughs> we would go through so much chocolate milk i'm like i'm thinking our teeth are gonna rot they're gonna i can't believe this i'm like can we just stop buying it? Like, it's the only thing they'll drink. Okay, let them drink chocolate milk. <coughs> In fact, we have a little story about this. Uh, <laughs> did you want to tell? You want me to tell? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, sometimes it can work in your favor. Because <coughs> Louis, I mean, they were drinking chocolate milk by the gallon, right? And uh, I think he was younger than that because he just, just mastered the tricycle, okay? And so <coughs> we were outside, and I was working in the garage, and and uh, William comes running into the garage, and, and just and he was terrified. You can just see it in his eyes. He's like, "Dad, Dad, you gotta do something. You gotta do something quick." I'm like, "What's you know? Somebody cut their hand off? What? What?" He says, "Louis, Louis, he's running away. He's decided he's going. He's leaving." I'm like, "Really?" So, so he's like. Three-year-old, four-year-old on a tricycle, I walk out, and he's booking down the sidewalk on his tricycle. <coughs> and Lewis, uh, William's standing next to me like, Dad, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I said, hey, Lewis. He stops and looks at me. I said, what, what are you doing? I'm running away. I'm like, okay, uh, just one thing. Uh, where are you going to get chocolate milk at? <laughs> and his face went, <sighs> and his head went down like this. And I just walked back in the garage. And William was like, Dad, that was genius. <laughs> <laughs> that kid was not going anywhere because we had chocolate milk. All right. <clears throat> and you know what? They never drink chocolate milk anymore. What's that? What, here, give her the mic and explain. You showed the options. Like we kind of teaching versus punishing, right? Like, like that whole idea, like, well, if that's the choice you want to make, here's the consequence you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. That's true principle. <laughs> yeah, it just just how we how we play it out, uh, and then how you respond in a way that uh, gives him the choice, and he made the choice. He came back. Um, I'm glad you all right, and then another thing that is I think helped our family in the long run be happy, though in the moment it's so awkward, and that's repenting when we do something wrong to the person. All right, and we all do that. I mean. If you know, we just I, I, my kids will come up to me and say, "Mom, sorry, I used that tone of voice with you." And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't notice any tone of voice, <laughs> you know." <laughs> but you know, they just they have that heart. And Cameron kind of has a story about that. Yeah, uh, yeah William's got the story. Okay. <laughs> so, 
Um, I was just like cleaning up the living room, something uh, before supper. I can't exactly remember. Uh, but while I was cleaning up, uh, my dad told me to go down and put Emily's ukulele into her room because she lives downstairs and the living room is upstairs. Um, and so I was just doing that. And as I was like walking downstairs, I was just playing the ukulele a little bit. And while I was doing this, my dad was like uh, in the, the downstairs area, um, basement area, I guess you could say. Um, it, it had been like a half hour, an hour, you know. <laughs> close to that ish but my dad was on a fast uh, during this time as well so a little bit of mercy i guess you could say he hadn't eaten in three weeks right right um but i was playing it and then while i was just like walking into her room my dad just like grabbed me and pushed me against the wall and was like will i told you half an hour to put that away and i was like <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I was just playing it, and it, my uh, dad was get, like getting in my face and yelling at me. It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, this is one of the things, and I'm not blaming it on the fast, because one of the benefits of a fast is that it removes yeah. resistance, Definitely. and it allows things that you have well tucked away inside come out. And, uh, you know, here is my kid playing an instrument. My word, we've spent thousands of dollars on music lessons and I yell at him for playing an instrument <coughs> you know and when it happened you know I, I was I was mad that he wa hadn't obeyed me right I was like why won't he just do what I told him to do and I did erupt um, I grabbed him pushed him against the wall and I talked sternly to him you know and afterwards I walked in the bathroom and I was frankly I was shaking I was like I can't believe I just me did too. that um, uh, it was totally, totally, you know, the use of power to get your will done is almost always uh, not helpful. In other words, you have to resort to power to make it done your way. Then it's not cooperation, right? It's subservience. Does that make sense? <coughs> and I totally blew it. And I realized I blew it. I had to go to William. And, you know, when you're, when you're little, you, now he's taller than me, you know. <laughs> but then you have to get down on their level, look him in the eye and say, William, what I did to you was a hundred times worse than what you did and not obeying. I am so, so sorry. And you know what? That's just one story. Uh, we could have filled this whole time with stories like that, where, like, I totally... Uh, did not respond in proportion to the way I should have. You know. So we wanted to focus on times that we did respond well, <coughs> good communication, or uh, being there for one another, being reliable for one another, having uh, shared experiences, uh, showing respect for one another. It's those things, uh, you know, and then if you blow it like I blew it and you repent, um, then you have an abundance of good things to rebound with. Does that make sense? And so wherever you are in your family, uh, you can begin. You know, your behavior won't necessarily change the behavior of the other people in your family. Okay, it's not a guaranteed thing. But the Bible says, inasmuch as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. And certainly, we're to live at peace with the people in our own household. Okay? And so, when you do that, it does release into the atmosphere peace. Right? So, even if there's someone in your house or in your family or that you relate with that's continually making bad choices, that puts you in bad circumstances. You can choose to live at peace. You can forgive them. You can treat them with respect. And it does open up the door for them to change. It doesn't guarantee it, but it's as much as it's up to you, it does have incredible power. The opposite of that is, is, is bearing uh, a grudge or <coughs> getting angry or gossiping about it. And all of that is just, just the opposite. It just it feeds into that downward spiral. But if you instead forgive, if you instead...
quickly repent. If you instead communicate, over-communicate, talk, communicate without judgment, without you know, undue expectation, just trying to be clear, all of that creates an opportunity where your family relationships can get better. And I just want to pray for you all because <coughs> everyone's in different places. And uh, we all need help. And the Holy Spirit wants to help. So uh, let's just close our eyes and take, take your family. Maybe it's your parents. You know, my mom lives in Florida, and I talk to her every now and then, but it's a long way away. My siblings are all spread out all over the country. And uh, maybe it's someone in your house. Um, we just want all of our family relationships to be better as a way to represent Jesus Christ to the world for our sake, for our loved one's sake, but also for Christ's sake. He gives us the power of his spirit, himself living within us, to produce change for our sake, for their sake, but also for his sake, to represent Jesus Christ to the world so that all may be saved. So, Father, I just pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit into the, into the minds, into the hearts, and into the spirits of every person in this room, every person hearing these words. And I pray that into our family lives, whatever that family looks like, Father, we would increase the measure of your kingdom, which you describe as righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy, happiness, peace, safety, righteousness, being right with one another, in right relationship. Father, I pray an impartation of that. I pray that uh, maybe some of the things that we've said will help uh, these families here find ways that they can implement in their life, and maybe they can share with someone else and teach someone their story. And we bless each and every one, and we thank you that we have a Father that we can go to that will never let us down our Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, we can call you our brother, and that you've invited us into your family. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's, that has yet to come into that family, the family of Christ, I pray that you'd speak to their spirits right now, right here, and that they'd make that choice to be part of your family, that we can live eternally with you in the fullness of joy. Amen.